When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years. Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics. And John, Celtics take a 3-2 advantage, two at home. Uh, we talked about that the last show. Then they drop two on the road, I guess. And then they come back for game five and defeat the Bucks at home. Marcus Smart makes a return. I think it seems to be a little bit earlier than anticipated. Certainly a much-needed hustle, uh, definitely down the stretch. A really nice play when he was being absolutely mauled on the floor. Still finds a way to kick the ball out to Al Horford. That pretty much ices the game, but uh, Jalen Brown, I'll tell you, John, I didn't get to see much of it, and we'll get into that later, but Jalen Brown really making that statement. Remember, uh, just before the playoffs, we said, or you said, I said, I wouldn't give him up, the Kawhi talk, all of that, and really felt like he was going to be a scorer in the league. And then we said, well, you know, you challenged him a little bit, and you said, you know, Jalen, you're going to have to, you're going to have to be the guy who scores 25, you know, 20 to 30 points a night, 25. You know, I'm not sure you're the guy that can do that. And then here he is just really putting on quite a postseason performance. He has been everything they could ask for. Um, you know, I think he took a bit of a step back in game five, but certainly game four, game three, all both games in Milwaukee. Uh, but he played well in Boston too. I mean, but he was really in those games in Milwaukee, the crucial piece. And, and arguably, if you believe the, I don't want to get you started now, but, uh, <laughs> we'll give the, <laughs> the listeners at minutes. least five minutes of, Mm, yeah, there's yeah. no way we're, I'm going to keep it together tonight. We're gonna, well, I'm going to pull it back now, just so we don't we, we, we stay it off a little bit, just for a little bit longer. Um, but the last two minutes thing, where we find out where you know he got hit on the arm and should have been, you know, arguably that would have been the go ahead basket and, and might very well have led uh, the Celtics to a, a win there uh, on Sunday afternoon in Game Four. Tremendous. I mean, just the step back threes, the strong finishes in the lane. I mean, he's so strong that even longer, strong players, Giannis, I mean, going through, go into contact with Giannis and still get the, get a decent shot off. So many good opportunities for him, uh, in Milwaukee in games three and four. Tatum had a great, you know, 16 points there, um, in the quarter. 
it was it was fabulous. But um, you know, it wasn't enough. The team didn't play, I think, well enough. I don't think they had enough players. But in game five, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart. Five months almost to the day of his hand surgery, he's back, comes in. And I think you could very easily say that he was the difference maker that led the Celtics to a win today. He didn't score all the points. He didn't create every turnover. He, he didn't, but he did everything in his power to make this game one that ended up in the Celtics column. And you could feel a palpable difference in how the Celtics were playing, how the Milwaukee Bucks were responding, and just how that entire game was, was, Proceeding by why by whether he was in the game or out of the game. Well, he's Joe a Prunty, physical player. He is he is a physical player. And Joe Prunty before the game said, "Oh, we're not preparing to play Marcus Smart. You know that they know he's coming. That they need to be prepared for it. You can't prepare for Marcus Smart. That guy, as as Sam Sheehan was saying to me on on Twitter today, he is the definition of chaos. You cannot prepare for what he is going to what hell he hath wrought." On your, on your team, you just simply have to hope it's not as bad as it's going to be because Marcus is going to bring the pain and he brought the pain in game five. Yeah, Marcus is the kind of guy who brings the pain to himself too. Like he's just Absolutely. surrounded by pain and, and you're right. You, and you and Sam are both right. You definitely can't contain that or prepare for it because it is, it's chaotic. It's unpredictable. It's not precision. It's just total energy and physicality. And he was very physical in this game. It is something that the team needed to find was that physical identity, especially, and, you know, again, we'll stave off my tirade for a little bit longer, but the way that the Bucks have been playing them, the, the officials have allowed for a more physical game to, well, at least for one team, it has seemed so far. But all I'll say, I'm really containing myself, John. You're doing well. You're I'm doing trying. Great. Keep it up. I'm trying. Keep it up. So, but Marcus <laughs> brought that physicality. They needed it. And and if anything, to your point about not having enough players, we know where the depth is really lacking, and it's in the backcourt. It's mm-hmm. Terry Rozier has actually, and I think in many cases we've seen it, but asked to just do too much and too many minutes. And so this is going to give him a reprieve. I think we'll see a little bit of a resurgence from Terry Rozier moving forward just because it does allow to him to, I don't want to say take a step back, but just think about how much ball handling responsibility he's had to assume over the tail end of the season and then into the first five games of this season or first four. And now Marcus is back. It's going to give him a huge lift, the team on the whole, I mean, but it's also going to help Terry quite a bit. And so that was much needed. It's great to see Marcus back. And uh, unfortunately, the one thing that's not great to see back is the debate about who do you keep, Rozier or Smart. I'd like to save that for the offseason at this point. Yeah, I think we have to. But you're abs- that's a great point. You know, I hadn't really thought of it. But the burden that Rozier has been carrying for the last six weeks is tremendous. I mean, he's doing things that he shouldn't be expected to do at this point in time. Carry a playoff team, you know, with with no other really, uh, you know, anybody else to help you. And it's crazy. And he's he's done it well. He did it well in the first two games, less so in the two games in Milwaukee. Let's hope that this is the extra little lift he needs. I think part of it, too, is there's been a lot of talk about, okay, how do you keep the offense going? And the Silk's offense has not, you know, exactly been, you know, he's being asked to do everything. And he's not everything right now. He's great at scoring. He's great at, you know, finishing and hitting his threes. And, 
Crane, no, I shouldn't say great at finishing, but he's great at creating offense. He's great at creating offense, particularly for himself. He hasn't really figured out that next level passing gene that clearly Smart has. And by Smart coming in there, you could see the ball was moving a little bit better. Things were, it was, it was creating opportunities for a lot of different players. And I think. Oh, look at the box Smart, score at halftime. Absolutely. It was like right. six to eight points or, you know, five to eight points for like eight players, nine players. So the ball movement was clear, even just looking statistically. So, uh, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It bore itself out. As, as you looked at the box score for this game as well. Yeah. And, and you know, smart ends up, you know, he, if you look at his box score, you know, 24 minutes. Okay. That's, you know, nine points. That's decent. 28% shooting. That's what he does. Sure. But five rebounds, four assists, you know, <laughs> uh, three blocks, a steal. I mean, there's, there aren't many columns there that have a zero in them. You know, he did have, he did have five turnovers. I, you know, look, that's another, <laughs> another box without a zero. It up. So exactly. Yeah. He does fill it up. <laughs> I'm just waiting for his first triple double with turnovers, but, um, it'll never happen, but it's sort of tongue in cheek there, but still you're right. right. He's all over the floor in many different ways. And, uh, and it, it, but really it's that energy lift that I think the Tim team needed. It needed that muscle and hustle and they got yeah. it. Well, in, in, that's kind of goes to the Terry Rozier thing. So there's a, you know, double, well, sort of a double foul, but a, it basically a flagrant on, on Bledsoe and a, and a foul on, on Rozier, uh, technical foul on Rozier early part of the third quarter, which comes just minutes after really what should have been, I thought, a flagrant on, on, uh, Thawne Maker. They don't call that. So it's kind of like, it seems like the, the Bucks kind of have it in for, um, Boston. They're trying to bring their machismo, I suppose, to them. We, we saw it at the end there, you know, Giannis kind of trying to tap the ball away from Horford. Horford kind of give him a stare down. The Celtics don't really have, they have not taken those kind of cheap shots. Um, they've not tried to like push in those, in those ways. Mook Morris, I thought really he had, you know, some good games early on, but really has not been effective in that way. He's not been, uh, he's been chirping with the refs in the, in the post game, but not much, you know, in terms of being they, physical. They're being and, smart. And say I, I'll, be honest, I'll be honest with you though. I think they're being smart in that regard is so easy. The way that this, the way that these games have been officiated, Think, think, think go. about, think about, I'm not quite going to go. I'm just <laughs> setting the table. I'm really trying to stay calm here. But the way that they've been officiated, they're very lucky that they haven't lost control of this series to the point where there's a fight on the floor. Um, it's so bad. And, you know, yeah. it, it, if this game had taken place in the palace between Indiana and Detroit, you know what would be happening right now. And, yeah. and, and, and that's, I I am going to I'm going to commend the Celtics on one hand, and I'm also going to blast them on another. And you know, you kind of gave them that criticism, like you got to punch back. But right. I said a quarter and a half into game two before I turned the damn game off that it would be a miracle if Marcus Morris didn't throw a punch before this series was over, and and uh, he hasn't. And so that's where I'm going to give them a lot of props. And, uh, you know, Marcus Smart, had he played since game one, probably would have had an ejection by now. And, uh, you know, it's, it, but it is sort of sad that they didn't fight back 
the same way that it was being dealt to them. And in that regard, you know, they kind of bear some of the responsibility because part of me is feeling like maybe things would have gotten under control if the refs realized just how close they were to losing control of the game. And then there's this other side of me that that's going to put on old friend Jim Metz's tinfoil hat. We'll get to that in a second. <laughs> I'm just going to say you can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter, at CSL underscore Tweet Live. You can follow me. Hopefully you weren't on Sunday. I'm at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS Media Network, at CLNS Media. Find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash CLNS fans, and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. And, of course, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high-definition, full-length locker room interviews and the Garden Report, the Roundtable, on and on and on, and a five-minute snippet from this show, which I am most certainly expecting to be what is about to happen, which is my absolutely furious explosion against the NBA. And, and John, here, here's what bothers me. I did turn the game off one and a half quarters into game two. And there was no point in watching that game. It was clear the fix was in. Just the way it started. And, and I get it, you know. You absolutely, when you're down in the series, you want to come out at home and you want to put that fight in. But Delavadova got away with so much grabbing, so much pushing, so much hand checking. In the initial minutes of that game, and then it just extended out to the rest of that team. And yet the Celtics were getting called for ticky-tack fouls. It wasn't even good basketball, John. I couldn't watch it. And, and it wasn't because the Celtics were losing. It was because it was bad basketball. The ball it, it was not even enjoyable to watch. Now, of course, no comeback in that game for the Celtics, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Then you go over to game uh, four. The Celtics get down big early. Now, this right here is where I put on my tinfoil hat. Diagram of an absolute sham scam on you NBA fans, and especially me, who I actually feel pretty ashamed. Part of the reason I'm so bitter about it is the fact that I haven't caught on to this or didn't believe it or turned a blind eye to it. For how long have we been doing this show, John? It's 2018? 15 years? 15 years, maybe? Something like that? (laughs) Long I mean, I time. Long time. Long time. <laughs> I've been watching longer than that. The fact that I didn't realize that the fix is in earlier is mind-numbing <laughs> to me. Because, I mean, think about it. Just think about it, John. What happens in the final six, five, six minutes of the game, right? It takes almost an hour to play. There's constant timeouts. There's replays, blah, 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 blah. And what happens during that time? You get to watch more commercials than you ever imagined. Just follow the money here. If the game, if the series ended in four or five games, teams don't get home games. How do teams make money? They make money when games go seven. It's good for the team and the drama and the suspense and the narrative that the NBA wants to tell you. But then the other thing is, what do most casual fans do? They wait until those last six minutes of the game to watch. And the NBA has miraculously found an amazing way to extend those last six minutes with instant replay and, you know, the, the way that the game ends. So they drag it out more and more and more every year. We talked to Mike Gorman about that last fall. And I mentioned that that was one of my frustrations. And he agreed with us that the end of the game takes too long to finish. Well, guess what? That length of time is all about ads. So 
how do they get you to how do they get you to tune in at the end of the game, John? What's the best strategy? Well, you know they're not tuning in early, so give the casual fan permission not to watch. Stake a twenty point lead by calling an extremely uneven game. Let let the home team get way up, and then right around the middle of the third quarter, start planting those social media hooks to pull you back in. That's right. Hey, guess what? Celtics were down by 20 early. Now they're climbing back into the game. Oh, it's close. They've got it within 10. And slowly they pull you and they pull you back in right in time for, that's right, it's time for the commercial bonanza of excitement that you will experience at the end of the game. The last six minutes that takes 45 minutes to finish. You will hear all about all the sponsors and advertisers. Follow the money. I feel duped, John. And I will tell you, I was sitting in the airport watching game four, and it's just happening all over again. And I couldn't take it. I walked away from the airport bar. And it didn't help that my flight was delayed three hours. Went and sat over by the terminal and basically blew up on Twitter. Barfed all over Twitter. And guys like Byron Solomon, our good friend, and uh, old friend Mike Fay are like and, – and I was tweeting and uh, and t- texting back and forth with CLNS Media founder Nick Gelso. And they're all like, oh, your boy Jalen's going off. And honestly, John, I missed it. I didn't watch it. I couldn't take it. I just couldn't take it. I was not going to be, I was not going to succumb to the fix. And I know I sound like Mike Munger. I know I sound like a Tim Donaghy apologist. I know, you know, it's like back, hearkening back to the days of, of JB and the conspiracy theory around the rest. But you know, my whole line on this show for all these years, back when we used to do a live show and Mike used to call in, I always said, listen, the officials do not influence the outcome of the game. I'm still going to stand by that. They don't influence the outcome of the game as much as they influence the narrative of the game and the tone and how best to manufacture drama at the end and take a series, as many series to seven as possible. And quite frankly, I get it. But I feel duped now because I don't feel like I'm watching a real product anymore. <laughs> I don't even know where to take that. <laughs> I think I mean, that was a six-minute straight diatribe. It it was a diatribe, yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I don't know if I'm ready to go how far with the conspiracy. Um, I will say this. I think that the officiating – in the Celtics series has been horrendous. Um, games one, like the worst you've ever seen, right? The worst you've ever seen. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, look, we, (laughs) this is, this is, uh, you know, we've, we've had a show after game seven of 2010 finals, which was, um, still probably the single most painful sports memory I can think of right now. Um, Perk. That was as hard. That was as hard to take. Well, not even Perk. Joey Crawford. I mean, Joey Crawford yeah, basically. No, of course, but he fouled gifting, out. That's what I'm saying. Gift, gifting that series effectively to the Lakers in how he called that game. Um, you know, and we've seen it over and over and over again in the course of history, and and how the NBA officials. Um, set a standard, and then choose to break that standard over and over and over again. I think in this series, you know, they're letting the, the, the Bucks be as physical as they want to be with the Celtics. 
And we've already seen Luke Morris has gotten slapped for it. Uh, you know, Horford has said not much, but more than Al Horford usually would say about these things. Um, and we've got a lot of young guys who are not going to get the calls because they're young guys. Uh, but it, it certainly seems as though there's a lot of young guys on, on the Bucks that are g- getting the benefit of the doubt and the Celtics are not. So I can, I can chalk it up as the Celtics are not getting the calls. The Bucks are, I can chalk it up as it's just bad officiating. I think both things can be true. It's um, so blatant though. It's, it's awful. It's so blatant. It should it's be not, better than that. These are not ticky tacky, like, oh, questionable. I'm not so sure. This is yeah. clutching, grabbing, and hand checking to the chest. Yeah. Like this isn't like yeah. hand checking like on the arms and whatever. It's going right for the you know, I don't want to say right for the heart, but yeah, basically, you know, that you know, the center of their chest, the chest bone, whatever it's called that I can't think of. You know, they're just jamming them right there. And I'm I'm sorry, but you know, there are times where the, well, look at the foul they called against Terry Rozier when he clearly knocked the ball loose um, in the fourth quarter of Game 5, right? And they blow the whistle on that. He's not pushing into the body. I mean, at the at best-case scenario, it was a foul because he hit the player's hand, but the hand is part of the ball. It's not like taking your hand to the ball handler and jamming him up into their body. Uh, there's reaching in fouls. How many over the backs did you see in the first quarter of game one on rebounds? Like, I'm like, you cannot allow them. There's a reason to have a foul called over the back. And numerous times, players going way over the back and not being called as the Bucks. And look, I just, I hate this whole conversation because it makes me sound whiny and homeristic and et cetera. But it's flipping out of control, and I don't care. They can call it both ways. I, I'm not saying the Celtics haven't gotten away haven't gotten away with a couple of calls. Of course they have. It's that badly officiated. But overall, the officials needed to tighten up on the physical contact to some degree. You know, a physical series. I understand that's kind of like '90s basketball, and there are elements of that that I enjoy. But but call it consistently, and you know, at some you have to draw a little bit better line than they have. Well, I mean, I, a lot I, better line. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think physical physical play is fine. Physical play that's called consistently is is better, and that's I don't think what we're getting right now. I feel like what we're getting right now is um, a manufactured way for Milwaukee to compete in this series when they clearly were going to get their asses handed to them. I mean, I know the first game was close. You know, Middleton hit that shot and it went into overtime. Blah blah blah. But the way that the game two went, it was getting pretty clear that the Celtics were establishing some serious dominance. I, I agree with that. And I think that they went to Milwaukee in game three and um, they had less of a chance to compete in that game than they should have. I'll say that. How about, how do you like that? I, I thought game three was one. Wait, hold where... on. What, what's your day job? Are you a politician? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I mean, game four, uh, you know, there were some, obviously some calls at the end there that, but the Celtics, you know, they're, I'm, we'll, we'll go to this and then we'll kind of shift it to look ahead to game six. But, um, I think that the game five, the problems to this point have been that Milwaukee has brought more energy and more aggression to the game, particularly in games three, four. 
Um, they were the more aggressive team clearly in those two games. They played off of the crowd, but I think also the officials were impacted by the crowd in Milwaukee. I think that they were impacted to a really great degree and you can't let that happen. <laughs> and I think they've been the more aggressive team all the, the entire time, but in the games three and four in particular, um, that aggression was amped to a, another level. And Delavadova probably most uh, notably, and probably Maker, probably Thon Maker too, but, but Delavadova in particular. But Thon um, made some good plays too. I mean, he's a little reckless and he got away sure. with a lot. But but there were also some plays where you kind of said, hey, you know what, hats off to him. Like there was a block that was yeah. really exceptional that you have to say, you know, he came out and intended to influence the game. But again, a younger player – getting the benefit of some calls. I mean, he was as guilty as, as anybody is going over the back. But I feel like, yes, I, but I think that in terms of the intensity and the aggression, Della Vidova is the one that keyed that as much as anybody. I mean, 100% I think, from the beginning. Maker, Maker was, was aggressive, overly aggressive, arguably, and I thought they should have used that against him. But, but it was Della Vidova and those, and his stretches there to start the game really changed the whole pace of, Game three and game four too. I mean, I think he's that. That's kind of waned a bit now, particularly in game five. I don't, he was effectively a non-factor. I thought. Um, so we'll see what happens in game six when they go back home. The other thing is, is like, look, these are these are two teams with a lot of young players. They're going to play a lot better with the home crowd and a lot worse in front of somebody else. So it. it if things go but to that's form, just not true. that's Celtic, exactly going to happen. As soon as as soon as the officials started forcing, or actually, what really happened in Game Four was Milwaukee thought they had it in the bag, so they stopped fouling the crap out of the Celtics, and then all of a sudden, the floor opened up, and they did perform. I, I I'm sorry, but it's yeah. the way that the game is called is the reason that the Celtics young players weren't performing on the road. When you can't get separation because they get to grab and hold on to you while you move laterally, um, yeah, you're never going to be able to make plays. You're not going to be able to run pick and rolls. You know, it, it's it, it, you know. It, when you can't move on the floor because you literally can't get free from the player that's guarding you because they are legally contacting you consistently over and over and throughout all motion on the offense, there's not much to there's not much to be done about that. You, you basically ride the ride the tide. Now we're going to tell you about a couple of sponsors, and then we'll come back. We'll preview Game Six. Um, we'll move on from my diatribe. I won't bring it up again, but I I will let you know. <laughs> Until I've, next show. I've missed two full games of basketball because I just can't tolerate it. It's it's frustrating me that much. But it's a good thing because we have a couple of sponsors, so they're keeping me in the game, John. They're keeping me in the game. We have obligations. So if you wear contacts, then you know how annoying it is to have to get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts, especially when there's savings to be had online. So Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts, well, simple. And here's how it works. Using your phone or your computer, you can take the Simple Contacts vision test 
podcast in five minutes, literally anywhere. You're just using the camera on your phone or your laptop, and a real doctor is going to review your test results within 24 hours, and they write you a new prescription. Boom! A fresh supply of brand-new lenses on the way to your door. No more appointments. No more waiting rooms. No more overpaying. Uh, Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. Um, I had an amazing experience. This went super quick for me. Um, I have considered buying contact lenses online in the past, but the truth is, to take advantage of that savings, I've had to go to the doctor's office to get a new prescription to do it. It just never made sense for me, but Simple Contacts has made it make sense, and I got really nice contacts within just a couple of days. It was really beautiful, because I always wait till the last minute. If you're like me and you're a procrastinator, then this is your service. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses. Their prices are truly unbeatable. The prescription is just $20, and then the contact lenses are super competitive price-wise. Shipping is free, and best of all, as a listener of our show, you will get $30 off your first contacts order with Simple Contacts. To save that $30 on your lenses, just go to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or enter the code CSL 18 at the checkout. I do want to mention, though, that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. So, again, check out Simple Contacts. Get $30 off your first order by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or just enter the code CSL18 at check at checkout. Give it a try. Thank me later. And for hymns, listen up, fellas, 66% of men begin losing their hair by age 35 and choose not to do anything about it until it's too late. However, it's a whole lot easier to keep the hair you have than to replace the hair you've lost. So if you started to notice that receding hairline, or maybe you're like me and your son finally spoiled the secret that you couldn't see on your own. That's right, the bald spot hiding in the back. Why is it that we do nothing when we can turn to medicine and science? Here's your chance. Our listeners get a trial month of hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. So see the website for full details. Go to 4 slash CSL 2017. This would cost hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or pharmacy. So go to 4 slash CSL 2017 today. All right, John, what's your predictions for game six? Because I'm just going to tell you right now, the pessimist in me is saying, same old baloney on the roadie, and then we come back for game seven at home and all the teams win because that's the most games at home. They sell the tickets. They make the bling bling. I think the Celtics are going to win game six. I think they win game six. I think the reason why I think they, you're right. Looking at in terms of the play of what I saw tonight, if you, if you figure a 10% increase in, in the productivity of your average buck player and you, Figure the Celtics are going to take a little bit of a step back with out, you know, smart being, um, you know, kind of the adrenaline of that happening. You would think, okay, well, that's more than enough for the Bucks to pull out a win in game six. I just feel like, and this is kind of a trend, it seems like with the Celtics team, you know, probably they, sh- they shouldn't win. You know, they probably shouldn't win game six. I just think they're going to. I think they're the better team. I felt like both of the games in, in Milwaukee, they should have played a lot better and didn't. Um, and, and you got to feel at some point they're going to put that together. They were a better team on the road all year than they were at home. So I feel like this is the time when 
they're going to finally put it together. Um, you know, smart being back, it unlocks so many things for this team offensively, defensively. It creates some mismatches. It, it really, it should allow them to play the way they want to. And I thought they did for the large part of, of game five. The question is, are we going to see Jalen Brown at the 11, 12, 13 point level and the Mark and the Jalen Brown or the Jason Tatum are in that same ballpark? Are they going to be in the upper teens like we saw in, uh, in games three and four? That's, that's kind of the, the difference. I mean, if you get them playing at that capacity, they're going to, the Celtics can win those games. I, I think the other person that I think is, is a key person. This is Mook Morris. I thought after the first two games, he really has not been as effective as they've needed him to be. He was okay. He obviously had a, a nice bucket there near the end in crunch time, but they need more out of him right now. I mean, he was a key pair, player for them as was Rozier in those, in those kind of last six weeks of the regular season. Once everyone went down, they need him playing at a higher level. And it seems like when those bench units are coming in, both he and Larkin and, you know, that group really has struggled. Uh, you know, the start of the, you know, second quarters, start of the fourth quarters have really been bad times for the Celtics here throughout this series. They need to have those guys playing at a, at a higher level. And Mook in particular, he needs to be the veteran force that kind of stabilizes and keeps things going when the Milwaukee crowd is going nuts. So they need him stepping up, but I'm just thankful no more bucks and six. I don't have to hear that anymore. It's all Celts and six. That's what it should be. I want to see him close it out, and I want to move on to a Philly-Boston series, which will probably be as bloody as the Revolutionary War on Twitter. I, you know what? I'm down with that. That might be the series that pulls me back in. You know I've been eyeballing it. Um, of all the matchups in the postseason other than a finals matchup with anybody – it's the one that I've desired the most. And, you know, partly it's because I'm in that Philadelphia market. I got neighbors who are 76ers fans, but also just because the team was such an underdog. I mean, look at the way they started the year. And, you know, you've got this youth movement battle. I think it'll be interesting to see how the calls go in that series. You're right. It will be as bloody as the Revolutionary War. Um, but, but, I will also say the Celtics will be ready for it, right? Because they've had to put up with this baloney as long as they have. Um, I think they'll have a little bit better ability to punch back. I think what I'm interested in seeing in game six is, you know, is that Marcus Smart lift going to take another step up, you know, or does it tail off a little bit on the rest of the players, like especially on the road when they need it? I think that's what I'm eyeballing the most. And I, and, but I still stand by. You know, my prediction, I think game six is more the same. I think they want this to go seven. And and think about it, John. Like, the Eastern Conference is a yawner of a postseason, right? I mean, most people looking at it going, eh, the weak East again, right? As soon as all we had all the injuries and stuff like that, and then Cleveland really kind of tailing off, like, will they make it exciting by the time we get around to the Eastern Conference Finals? Sure they will. Sure they will. But they need people tuning in sooner than that. You know, they need people in the seats sooner than that. And so, um, you know, again, manufacturing the drama that's necessary to get interest in a weak Eastern Conference in the postseason. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't necessarily agree because I think, I mean, you do have two other series that are tied up to two, you know, so I, I think they can, they can afford to have. Are you watching uh, them? 
yeah, I mean, I've been on vacation, so I haven't watched much of anything, but, but <laughs> I mean, what I have been, but at a TV, I've been watching. Yeah. I mean, do I, do I really want to see, I'm, but I'm interested as a Celtics fan to see how those other series play out as opposed to like, you know, oh, I, I love basketball and I want to watch it all. Um, I, I'm watching them selfishly for, for my own team's reasons. <laughs> so if it, I'm probably not the, the target audience. I think the issue to me, it's it's about though, you know, can they afford to do it? Can they afford to to have one less team playing? I mean, it probably actually eases up their ability to get all the right um, uh, teams and and games in the right you know, situations. They want to be able to have two games a night every night at least forever. You know, and if the Celtics aren't in that rotation, then that actually may make things a little bit easier in terms of how they shuffle um, when game sevens and game sixes are um, coming up this weekend. So maybe, I don't know. I, we'll see. Well, I, I don't think, I don't think that, I think that there are reasons that they could do it. And, and I think the money is a good one, but they've got a lot of tight series right now in the East, the West less so. You know, you got both of them, uh, you got game fives tomorrow that are, uh, or I guess Wednesday, I should say, Wednesday that could be all done. And you've got, you know, a 3-1 that's playing as we're recording this, um, that could very well be, be wrapped up. So, um, I'd be West, really interested to see the ratings yeah. out in the West because I, I, I kind of feel, I bet the, I bet the draw is still there even with the series lopsided. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's still very much a local thing, uh, in those, in those cities that aren't. And also remember, you do have, um, a lot of these series, though there's a national element, um, they still are allowing local broadcasts too. So the ratings are a little bit skewed, I think, because of that. You know, if you're a Celtics fan, you're certainly not going to watch the, the ESPN or the TNT version of this. If you have a choice, you're going to, you know, watch Tommy and Mike, right? That's, there's no question. So just, um, just for the validation that Mike gave me at the end of game five, where, you know, he's saying the coach is telling them to hit them and they are, and the officials are letting them get away with it. <laughs> it just, I needed somebody else to say it other than a player who's clearly frustrated, but you know, I think we're all on the same page there. Um, I guess the only difference, John, is that you don't think that, you know, there's intent there. You you think that the officials, with all this experience over all of these years, have just allowed this to happen with no direction from the league office? No, no, no. I mean, I've always said I I thought that could be the case. I'm just I'm not. Um... So where's the step from that statement to I don't know. my conspiracy theory? Because I, they I, sound I, the I, same to me. I gotta be honest. I'm not thinking conspiracies. I'm just thinking about what's going on. And, you know, there are, there are plays that, that impact the game. No doubt. No doubt about it. You know, I just, I there's think a lot of, they care about the outcome as much as they care about it being close at the maybe, end. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess if that's the case, though, what the hell are we all doing talking about it? Because there's no bingo. You just nailed it. That's where I've been since Sunday. Like, if the fix is in, it's it's frustrating to comment and watch, right? Because then it's like oh, I could have predicted that. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's true. I'm disillusioned, bro. It's gonna take no me doubt. A while. It's gonna take me a while because I really, uh, yeah. 
All right, all right. So game game six, you think they take it. Yeah. So who's the star in Milwaukee then? Is it smart? You know, you kind of pointed the finger at Brown and Tatum and said, you know, are they going to be the guys to push the points into the high teens? You know, so if you're counting on them to do that, then maybe they're the star. Maybe Terry Rozier, who had a decent game five, uh, now that he's had a little bit of that burden lifted and um, maybe you're looking to him. Maybe you're going to say it's Horford who's gotten, gotten you get, well, I guess for him getting a little bit snippier, a little bit, you know, more uh, assertive. Where's your call here? It's it. You named a number of good candidates. Uh, I think Al Horford is the guy, though. I think he's the one that the difference maker. That really, I don't think Milwaukee's ever found an answer for. I think the issue that Milwaukee has posed to to the Celtics, the, the issue that they've kind of created for them is stopping Celtics' ball movement and stopping their ability to to get the ball where it needs to be. I feel like with Smart's inclusion, they're going to get a, get that ball to Horford a little bit more. They're going to look to get him in, in scoring opportunities. Uh, and I think that that's going to pay a, a lot of dividends for the Celtics. I, I just don't see that, that really Milwaukee has an answer. If they want to throw a big guy at him, as, as you know, we saw in the, in the Chicago series when they threw Lopez at him, there was a counter to that, you know, just spread it out more, get, go smaller. If they do that, I don't know what I don't know what the counter is. Do you put Giannis on him? That seems to me not a good situation. Not to say that Giannis can't slow him down, but it just to me it takes them out of some some good matchups that they can have, and I think they're better served by having him play on a on a power forward. Although to Shemi Ojale's credit, he kind of slowed that down here in Game Five. I just think Horford's the guy, and, and that's not to say that. Any of those other players that you mentioned aren't capable of being that star. I had Mook Morris as a guy who really has not showed up very strongly for the Celtics here, uh, in the latter half of this, of this playoff against the Bucks. Maybe that's the time he finally steps up, has a good 20 point game and kind of is that extra guy that they've needed and haven't gotten to this point. They'll put them over the top. They need somebody, though. They need somebody to step up. They need what about a guy like just... Monroe in the middle? Are you disappointed he hasn't kind of owned that a little bit? I feel like his minutes have been decreasing. Well, I think it's matchup-based. I think the Celtics are clearly choosing to go smaller against uh, the Bucks, and that's taken Monroe out of it. I mean, Brad tried to go with you know two bigs. Uh, we talked about it in the last show. You know, you even try to go with Baines and, and Monroe a bit. It just isn't working. I mean, I, they just, they need to spread them out. They don't have enough offense. So without the shooting and without the scoring, that's, John, you've gotten a little choppy, so I think that's going to be the end of uh, the episode today. But it's a good point, and we'll definitely discuss it again on our next show when this series should be wrapped up, and then they'll be facing the Philadelphia 76ers. Hopefully, that's what we'd like to see, and I think that can definitely happen. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLNS Media Mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. 
A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, and the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gelso, and my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. Celtic Stuff Live. Thank you.